A lot of copywriters help their clients sell courses. Some copywriters have created their own courses and still others help their clients create courses to sell to their customers. If you do any of those activities in your business or want to do them in the future, you'll want to stick around for this episode. Our guest today is copywriter Grace Fortune. Grace is a Copywriter Accelerator graduate, a think tank member, and an expert in course creation. In today's episode, she walks us through her process for creating a course and shares a ton of ideas you can use to build your own copywriting business. There's some good stuff in this one, but first, this episode is brought to you by the Copywriter Accelerator. That is our program that's designed to give you the blueprint, the structure, coaching, and some challenges and community that will help you put together the pieces of your business and really create something that continue to grow in the future. If you've done programs like Copy School or RMBC, you've done copywriting training and you know what you are doing as a copywriter, but you need help building the business side of your business, this is the program for you. It will help you go from overwhelmed freelancer to fully booked business owner. And we're going to be launching again this coming August. If you want to be told about that program when we launch, make sure you get on the wait list so that you're first to hear about the details. We'll link to the wait list in the show notes. Let's jump into our interview with Grace. The way that I got started was actually a few years ago. Um, I started out as a virtual assistant working for a friend of mine who owned her own virtual assistant business. So I went on as her executive assistant. And then I basically learned so much from her. I learned all the the back end things on how to run a, a business, including working with some copywriter clients. Working as a virtual assistant, I actually learned about you guys from one of your alumni from the think tank, uh, Shanti Zak. And I started following you guys, watching what you do, And it just, it really inspired me to want to become a copywriter on my own, as well as the clients that we had worked with. So, but I found like a big fear of mine was actually calling myself a copywriter. I felt like, I felt like copywriter was for like the term copywriter was for people who had already achieved success, not for people who were (laughs) um, waiting in the wings to achieve success. So as you, as you know, like when I first came sort of into your network and join the accelerator program, I was afraid to call myself that. And Rob, I still remember you kind of talking sense into me (laughs) and telling me that it was okay to copy, to call myself a copywriter, even though I hadn't achieved, you know, the success levels of like, you know, people like Tarzan Kay or Laura Belgray or even you guys. Yeah. So, well, I, I mean, glad that what I said helped bridge that gap. I'm curious, what were you doing as a VA, Grace, and how, you know, as you made the shift, as you you sort of gradually Mm -hmm. started calling yourself a copywriter, how did what you do change? Yeah, so um, I'm glad you asked that because uh, as a virtual assistant, basically everything that I was doing for my clients that I loved involved the course launch space. So um, I, I worked with a financial advisor. In fact, I'm still working with him. And he is also a coach for other financial advisors. So what I've done on the back end for him basically taught me the entire um, 
in the entire life cycle of a launch. So I was able to incorporate that into what I learned and what I'm still learning as a copywriter. So it was just like a really, really sweet like marriage of, of everything that I had been doing and everything that I've enjoyed so far. And how did you make the pivot, Grace? So once you're like, okay, I know I want to be a copywriter. I'm not quite ready to call myself that yet, but I'm going to start moving towards that type of business. What are some concrete steps you took? Um, the biggest thing was, I mean, just, just starting to call myself a copywriter. Um, I had joined last um, last year's TCC and IRL event. And one of the things, I believe it was Iman, Iman Ismail I did a presentation and she was talking about um, controlling the narrative and how people start talking about you. So that was a really, really big shift for me. But concrete steps were, were really the obvious, starting to convert over how I talk about myself on social media, how I started talking about myself to my clients. So I, I really stopped talking about myself as a virtual assistant. I just started talking about myself in terms of copywriting and, and launch strategy. Again, as you're making the shift and sort of talking about things differently, did you make a change in how you found clients and what you were doing to get in front of the right people for a different kind of project? Yeah. So um, a lot of a lot of my clients are basically referral based. So my biggest client, the financial advisor, was never afraid to talk about me. <laughs> and he also referred me over to his existing network and I helped them with their own with their own course launches and um, started talking to copywriters even more than I was before. So really I became very passionate about helping other copywriters launch launch their own programs and courses. So that was the the biggest thing for me is just um, talking to people more, getting in front of the people that I wanted to start working with. And Grace, so what does your business look like today? You know, what type of offers? Do you have a team? Can you just talk about where you are today? Yeah, I can. So I am still doing some work as a virtual assistant for that client I was just telling you about. But um, right now, my offers are specifically geared toward copywriters. That's where I'm pivoting my business to. So um, I've just been inspired by the one of our alumni uh, from the think tank, Grace Baldwin, who, um, when I was in a hot seat on the last day talking about how to convert my offers to make them more relevant to copywriters, she had mentioned, and most people had agreed, that my, my offers weren't really speaking to copywriters where they are in their journey. So my goal is to help copywriters who have not launched products or courses before to do that. So my newest offer, um, I guess I'll just give you kind of a rundown of how it works. So the idea is that you you come to me, we have a strategy call um, with some homework from the copywriter, and I come up with several ideas on how to launch these um, ideas for products that they could potentially launch based on you know their audience, where their strengths are, and then I analyze the data for them and then give them basically a big package where um, they have products that they could potentially launch. There's also like templates for sales emails they could write, social media copy to help promote the course, you know, landing pages, sales pages, um, all sorts of different templates that they can use. And there's also, um, and this is an area that I found during my research that really a lot of copywriters need help with is the technical aspect of of a launch so like 
they could, it would have a, a technical guide on how they could launch a product and say Kajabi or Teachable or Gumroad. Once I analyze the data, whatever I think would be best for them. There would also be like a marketing plan guide with like funnel map samples that they could use, all sorts of different email templates for purchase confirmations, like welcome sequences, and even like how to um, relaunch it in the future. And I, I remember that hot seat. I mean, because it was a month ago, so I should remember that hot seat. Uh, was not that long ago. I remember that hot seat because you talked about the why behind your business. And that's something that we often overlook mm-hmm. when we're talking about business and our offers. Can you just share your why and why it's so important to you to help copywriters package their services and create evergreen products and courses? Why is it important to you? Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. So... It's this is so important to me because I've I've seen so many times um, copywriters talk about how you know overworked and overwhelmed they are and how oftentimes they feel like they're just like a like a content factory like they just their value is based on what they can write and all the work that they put into it so um, and this is something that I've experienced myself it leads to massive burnout and you just feel just like a like a content mule um, and that's really really bad mentally for, I know for me, and I've seen other copywriters talk about this as well. So knowing what I know based on the work that I've done, if I can help copywriters break out of that cycle and have income that does, excuse me, doesn't require them to work so hard and burn their brains out doing it, like I I would consider that a huge win. That's, that's probably my biggest goal and my biggest why. Just I, the burnout is real and I if I, I want to help as many people as I can get over that. Yeah, I like that. It's a, it's a, it's a good why and a good reason to keep going. Grace, you've created some frameworks around the process that you follow. And I know you, you just kind of walked us through what that process is, but will you tell us about the frameworks, why you came up with them and maybe step us through them so we can understand even deeper what you do when you're working with copywriters to help them create courses? Absolutely. So because I love acronyms, <laughs> um, the the framework that I have come up with is called, uh, is just called course. Uh, it's a course framework. So I'll go through each phase, like kind of step by step. So phase one, uh, it's just, you just spell out the word course. It stands for collect, orient, undertake, refine, set up, and execute. And just to kind of break it down for you, the first phase is collecting your data. And I firmly believe that this is the most important stage of it. So what you're doing here is you're gathering data on your ideal clients, organizing it, and discovering trends that create the common theme of what you should be launching. Um, the way, the best way that I think to complete this phase is by talking directly to the people that you want to serve, all about their wants, what they're struggling with, who they serve, and their desires. So I find that a lot of people create like an arbitrary avatar, like six, like a six-figure business owner. But if you don't have clarity on what problem you're actually solving for them, your course is going to end up being a lot of work on your end and po- probably disappointing with um, the outcome. Grace, are you able to provide an example as we walk through your framework, just an example from a client, you don't have to name the client or some example for each step in your framework? Yeah, I'll do my best to do that. So um, for example, I'll 
kind of go back to my financial advisor client. So um, he he has found that through this collecting and research phase, he has found that he, what he originally thought is that his um, financial advisor network basically was struggling the most with getting new clients. But it turns out that through the market research phase that they were actually having the biggest struggle with creating systems and processes to make their financial firm more profitable. It wasn't just finding new clients, right? So the, the whole point of this research phase is to uncover the actual problem that your audience needs to solve. And so let's let's continue with that story. And then, you know, how did you apply that? What did you do in order to take them from, okay, I discovered this real problem that you've got. Now let's get it fixed. Yeah. So what we had ended up doing is um, creating a brand new product that that answers that. So there you you literally have like several systems in this product. Unfortunately, I can't go into too much detail on it because it's proprietary, but um, it actually offers like ways that you can set up offers for financial advisors in, in their business so that they can generate more income. Also, how to go through your business, analyze it from a high level and get rid of anything that's not needed. So most um, financial advisors, for example, they think that they need like a big office with, you know, four or five employees, like a customer experience manager, all that stuff. And a lot of the times that's not really true. A lot of the times they can just get they can actually do very well with just maybe one or two employees. So that helps dial up the profitability and trim the excess. But through the research, we were able to come up with this product that financial advisors actually needed. So uh, Grace, where does the O fit in? Can we jump to the O? Sure, exactly. So um, in this phase, what you're doing is creating your compass that's gonna guide the rest of your launch. So, and how you're gonna position it. So you would choose, you know, your course title, your price, the positioning, the target audience, also the plan that you want to implement to market it and your tech stack that how you're going to actually create everything where you're going to host it all of that stuff so an example of that is a copywriter client that i'm working with now Um, i'm basically coaching him and mentoring his team through their course launch Um, he's actually a sustainability copywriter so with this process he did the research And now what we've done is we've created his title for the course, what's in the curriculum, how much it's going to cost, you know, and we've come up with his marketing plan. So we were actually able to come up with some really, really creative ways for his first launch to make it even more profitable than he thought. So originally his goal was to only sell five of his program. And so I'm like, "Eh, let's, let's try to do better. So I was able to talk to him about getting in touch with his network and who to speak to about um, how to how to package this and sell it. And as it turns out, he's in a really good position just by talking to one of his existing clients to sell 30 of this course right off the hop to her team, to his client's team, which is really cool. Yeah, let's keep going through through the rest of the framework. So the third stage is um, undertaking. So right now, this is probably the biggest chunk of work. This is where you're actually going to be developing and creating all the assets to go with your launch. 
So in this stage, you create like the design of your course, video training, slides, um, PDF downloads, basically everything that makes your course come from your head and into the hands of your students. So for example, the course material that you would need to create are like the outlines, um, the notes, presentation slides, video recordings, obviously not exhaustive. It depends on what you're putting in this course and how you want to present it. So this is where you also want to create your copy. So curriculum handouts, landing sales pages, emails like the promotional emails, thank you emails, confirmation, onboarding, nurture emails, all of that stuff, as well as social media posts. It also includes like um, all of your design elements. So how do you want your course platform interface to look? So for example, if you use Kajabi, like um, the client I was just talking about is, you need to get to know that tool first so that you know what it's capable of so that you can control what it looks like, right? Um, there are so many different design elements to think of as well. So how do you want your sales pages to look? How do you want the handouts to look? <laughs> so it's not only creating the, the copy and the materials, but how you want them to look as well. Cool. Let's keep going. Right in the middle is the refining phase. So, you know, you're over all of, you're over the hump of work of creating everything um, initially, but you want to marinate on it for a little bit and make sure that you're refining everything, which is what that stage stands for. Refine, you review everything and make sure that your plan and assets are on the mark. So you have to make sure that there, there's no inconsistencies and that you're not, you know, forgetting anything important that you're doing. So if you skip this uh, refining stage, errors and mistakes can come back to bite you. Um, and since, you know, most people listening to this are copywriters, like this should be a fairly easy phase for people to go through because this is basically what you do as a copywriter. So just set aside time to look over the plan and assets with an eagle eye. You want to make sure that um, not only is everything complete, everything's included that you want, but you want to make sure that it's as, as good and as perfect as you can make it, you know, without getting bogged down in perfectionism. You don't want that to stop you from proceeding because you're worried that it's not perfect. So a lot of times, a lot of the times, like in spite of, you know, how much work that you put into something there, it's only human to miss something uh, like you miss a piece of copy or you forget to record a video or create a handout. And these little things are often what get overlooked. So um, you want to make sure that the same is with your design. Like, do all the colors and fonts match? Is it all is it all clear, your branding? And then only then can you move to the final stages. Okay. And what are the final stages? The second to last stage is where you set everything up. So this is where you go into, you know, the back end of your of your tools, like your email marketing tools, like Active Campaign or convert kit, whatever you're using. Uh, this is where you can set up your emails to um, get scheduled out to promote it. You would go into Kajabi and set up everything there, like put all your assets in, in your course management tool, whatever you're using. Um, my favorite course management tools are Kajabi and Teachable because that's literally what they're made for. So they have pretty good support. They're user-friendly and you know, that being said, you want to make sure that you're just taking it one step at a time and really getting to know the tool before you go live with it. And I would say have somebody 
like when you're testing it, make sure that you have somebody go through the entire process because testing is a major part of this um, setup phase. Because um, I've seen so many times, even, you know, with um, like think tank members and in, in the underground where something wasn't tested and it didn't end up working properly. So um, links not working, et cetera. So you want to make sure um, that your checkout is set up properly too. So, you know, you integrate your course platform with your Stripe and PayPal accounts. You make sure that your sales page directs to your checkout page. It seems obvious, but it gets skipped. So um, they don't automatically connect. So you have to make sure that everything is all integrated. Right. And then when you when it comes to email marketing, you have to make sure that your, you know, purchase confirmation and welcome automations are set up. Make sure that your buyers are tagged appropriately so that you can see, you know, who bought who bought what product so that you can email them or not email them about different products in the future. And then make sure that you're, uh, again, testing everything. Just test, test, test. I can't emphasize that enough. So I would suggest to have somebody that's not you go through the checkout process and, and make sure that everything makes sense and is working properly there. And Grace, is that the execute stage? Or are we not quite at execute? Yeah, this is the setup phase. So the execute phase is where everything is actually out into the world. So you know, your cart open date, your cart close dates. So, you know, this is where you get to sit back and hopefully relax and let the sales come in because you've done all the setup already. So this is where you want to keep track of your metrics and conversions during this launch. So if you, this is a really good opportunity that if you find that people are falling off at certain points. So let's say if you're doing a lot of email marketing and you find that some emails aren't converting, you can um, make adjustments either for the next launch or for this existing launch, for the existing launch and save feedback that you that you get for the next go round. You do it after you're done the launch, um, you would do like a, a debrief and keep track of like, okay, how many sales did I make? What were my conversion rates like? How many visits did I get to my landing pages? How many people check my emails? <laughs> did I get replies? What was the what was the feedback like? And, you know, am I happy with it? Once you're done that, then, um, of course, you have to deliver what's in your course. But that for, that for me is my my course framework. So, Grace, if I'm listening to you talk through this whole process, like, okay, I understand, like, what all of the steps are, but I don't really have an idea of maybe I want to do a course, but I don't know what that course should be or who it should be for. Do you have ideas as far as helping us identify the things that we should be teaching, who we should be teaching it to, and when we're actually ready for it as opposed to, you know, maybe it's too soon? So I would say that you should definitely consider launching a course or a product, uh, especially for copywriters. If you're at the point where you don't have space to really take on many more clients, so um, eventually, you know, you get overworked, you hit your income limit because you just don't have time to take on any more people. So that's one sign that you're ready to launch a course. So I would also say that if you want, if you have people asking you questions frequently, the same questions, and it's something that you could teach, but don't necessarily need to spend one-on-one -on -one time to teach it, that's a sign that you have 
a course that could potentially be ready to launch. I would also say if if your goal is is to work less one-to-one and you want to move away from that, then consider launching a course or a product. And and sorry, Rob, you did ha- you mentioned a couple of other questions, not just if you were ready. Yeah, well, you know, how how do you know if it's too soon? Because you know, I've definitely seen people who have created things or, you know, they've written a couple things and then they're thinking, oh, you know, maybe I need to turn this into a course. And and maybe they do. Maybe they have enough experience or maybe they don't. I'm just wondering if there's not necessarily a framework, but just some questions we can ask ourselves to see if it's like, okay, do I really know this? Should I be teaching it? Am I talking to the right people? So um, definitely there are signs that it's too soon. One sign that it's too soon for you is if you, if you don't have if you don't have people asking, like coming to you as, as an expert in your specific um, niche. So I would say like, for me, I would never, I would never dream of launching a course in, in web copy because I, you know, I could probably muddle through it, but I'm, that's not something that I'm confident in my knowledge of. So if you're not confident in your knowledge of a specific area, don't launch a course in it. If you don't have the, audience of people asking you for that information, then don't do it. Those are the the biggest two signs for me. So Grace, going back to your framework, which I I love how you walked through it and two questions about it. So why that particular order and what could happen if we don't go through that order? Because I know we don't have to go through that order. I mean, Rob and I have launched courses and we have not moved through that order but maybe it could have been better. Maybe we would have caught some potential problems if we had moved through it the way that you talked through. That's a good question. So, I mean, yeah, there, of course, there is always one, more than one way to go about doing something. But for me, I chose this way because I, I found that it was, I found that it was easy to, to make a process out of and, and replicate. So, for example, it just, especially with phase one, collecting the data, to me, that that is the most important stage of it, because you, I really don't think that you should do any of the other steps without collecting the data. And then with stage two, um, orientation, in order to really create a course and have a successful launch, I do think that you should spend time getting, getting your bearings figuring out, okay, how you, how do you want to position this? Who's the target? Like what's a, a catchy course title and the, the right price for it? Because if you don't spend time doing that, then your course might not hit the mark. You might end up targeting it to the wrong people. You might end up charging too much or too little. You might end up winging it um, when it comes to your tech stack later on in the undertaken setup phases, right? So going through these stages is just, it's very methodical and it's easy to replicate. And I think it's just, um, I firmly believe that having processes down, something that you can follow step-by-step is, is the best way to be successful. And then of course, like once you've, once you've gotten all of your, um, research and you figured out, okay, this is the direction I want to take, then it's a natural to say, okay, now I can go through and create all of my assets based on my research and the uh, direction I decided to take with it. And then of course, after you've created all the elements, you can refine it and make them perfect. 
then only then after everything is created should you go through the setup and then the execution phase okay kira let's break in what stood out to you so far in our conversation with grace well we started out talking about calling yourself a copywriter and how challenging that can be for many of us especially when we're getting started to really own that um and so I know Grace mentioned that you helped her own that title. Um, I know for me, I, it just didn't even hit me that I was a copywriter until some someone else, uh, Alyssa Burkis, uh, hit me on the head and basically was like, you're a copywriter. Like, it's obvious. Just call yourself a copywriter. So sometimes we do need that support from our community to really own our our identity and our titles, because sometimes we're just close, too close to it. And sometimes we, we do see it and we want it and we just need, uh, we want that permission and there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we encourage you to give yourself your own permission, but sometimes it's helpful to, to get that permission from a friend or colleague too. Yeah. It reminded me of uh, our very first interview with Ry Schwartz. You remember when he was telling us, you know, he, he got hired as a copywriter and had to go look up the job title, you know, online, what it actually Googled the term, what is a copywriter? Uh, a lot of us start doing this thing without knowing exactly what it is. And once we discovered it, it, you know, we have that name for it. It's like, Oh wow. Okay. Now I know what this thing is that I do. And that, that definition of what a copywriter is actually grows, I think, as you get better at it. You know, first, we usually start out and think, well, okay, we're writing the words, you know, whether it's on a website or sales page in an email, whatever, we're writing the words. But uh, the more we do it, the more we start thinking strategically about our clients' businesses, the more that we see where we can add value for them, the more it becomes a job of solving problems for our clients. And it just, it grows from there. So, yeah, I, I love that you know, Grace was hesitant, but then like leans all the way in uh, into you know, accepting what that title says about her. And it's allowed her to do so many more things in her business. You know, when, when you say, okay, well, I'm not just assisting anymore, but I'm actually going to be solving problems for my clients. It, there's just so much more you can do in your business. Rob, is there a title that you struggle to really own for yourself or that maybe you have struggled with in the past? I'm not sure about that. I love the title copywriter. And, you know, I, I know some people after a while, they start thinking, well, I, I want to be known for strategy or I want to be known for, you know, something bigger. Copywriter maybe feels too limiting. I still like that title. And, you know, I, I can be a copywriter who approaches things strategically or analytically or, you know, d does things differently. Um, you know, so I don't know that there's necessarily a title that I wouldn't accept. You know, we do coaching and, you know, if somebody calls me a coach, that's fine. I don't usually call myself a coach, but I am, you know, I know we do coaching and help people figure out, you know, opportunities in their business that they maybe don't see or help them improve products that they're working on or, you know, throw out ideas that will help them grow in different ways. And so we do that. I'm not sure if there's a, a title that I don't accept. How about you? Maybe is there something that you don't like leaning into? <laughs> I've struggled with entrepreneur. I feel like I don't, I haven't fully stepped into that title. It feels big to me. And um, I, I hear some 
some friends and, and colleagues, you know, just kind of throwing it around, even if they're like day two in their business, they're like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. And I think that's awesome to own it. And it's empowering. But for me, I feel like I haven't stepped into it yet for myself. And so that's one that I'm like, well, when, when will I be an entrepreneur? I don't know, but I'm not there yet. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, some, some titles actually come with some baggage, right? And entrepreneur is one that people have tried to change and you know, like, um, people have called themselves solopreneurs, you know, that I'm doing this on my own or, or some people who, uh, you know, call something like a fempreneur or, you know, they, they take, that entrepreneur title and because it does have some baggage they you know try to reframe it in some way that applies to them i guess that's all good you know for for them um i think one way that i have thought about it in the past is that i'm not necessarily an entrepreneur so much as that i'm entrepreneurial in my thinking that's that was kind of a reframe that i i think sam woods said it once and i was like yeah that's actually a really good way to, to think about it yeah and then i mean freelancer that I freelancer can frustrate me at times because I feel like it often diminishes what we all do, but we'll save that for another time. Another um, title with baggage, right? Yes. A lot of baggage. We've got so much baggage. Uh, we also talked to Grace about controlling the narrative. And I, I love that conversation because this is something that, like we said, we can control it. Like it feels like in business, there's so many factors we can't always control, but this is something that we can control how we talk about what we do, the title we give ourselves, how we show up, where we show up, how we discuss problems. All of that is what we control. Um, what we put on our website, what we talk about when we're invited to a podcast, the topics. And so it's, interesting to me how much power we have in our own narrative, but oftentimes we forget that like we do control that and we can shift at any moment. We can go on a, be a guest on a podcast or write a guest article about a new offer that we've never shared before. And just with that one article or that one interview, um, you can, you know, set your business in a totally different direction. And that's, that can feel really empowering to me. Yeah. I think there's a key here around just owning the idea that I am in control, that the narrative isn't something that's necessarily set by everybody else. If you don't take control, it will be set by everybody else, but you have this opportunity to step in and say things about what you do and own them. And it, it does take some bravery, some courage to do that, to say, I'm the person that solves this problem, or I'm the person that gets you this big result, or I'm the person that talks about this particular idea. But once you're willing to do that, you own the narrative, you own the conversation that's going on. And, and in the wider market, you become a really important part of all of the stuff that's happening. And uh, I, I just think it's probably worth challenging all of us to step up and own more of the narrative around us and not just let other people do it. And uh, Grace mentioned her why. I know this is something that we covered. Um, it feels important. I know Grace had shared it with us previously at TCC IRL. And, you know, she's, she's very passionate. She really, you can tell when she talks about why she does the work that she does, she cares deeply about it. And, um, you know, my takeaway from that is, well, yes, this is great that she has that strong why, but we all have that. And, you know, maybe we're not necessarily as, as um, emotionally connected to it at all times, but there's a reason why we do the work that we do. And that's another question that Rob, we ask when we and um, 
talk to our new think tank members and have our first kickoff call with our new think tank members, you know, one of the questions is it's why do you do the work that you do? And there's always an answer. You know, everybody always knows why they do it. It may take a couple of minutes to get to it, but that's really um, a great way to attract the right people and add that to some of your marketing messages because we, we all have the why. It just may take a little bit of digging to get there. Yeah. And those whys are widely different. Sometimes the why is very personal. It's related to, you know, supporting your family and earning enough, you know, for freedom and that kind of thing. And other times it's about being connected to a community that you really want to support and help. And, uh, and then there are, uh, you know, lots of other reasons in between, right? Nobody's why is wrong, but if you've got a, a good reason to do the thing that you do to solve problems for the people that you can help, then that just makes this business so much more enjoyable. And it sticks. Like when I heard, I mean, I already knew Grace when I heard her why. Um, I was already a super fan of her, of hers. But when I heard her why and why she cares about helping copywriters um, avoid burnout and how she had dealt with it and how she feels like, you know, copywriters can. Um, step outside of that feeling like a content machine, you know, it really spoke to me. So I will always want to help Grace, not only because I, I like her as a person, but because that why resonates with me. And so I will send all the people her way. And so I think that's just, I know we don't share our whys to necessarily get clients, um, but it works. It, it does work and you can connect it to revenue because people can People will remember you when they connect on an emotional level with with why you do what you do. And Grace is why I think resonates with you and me, because we have a very similar why around the Copywriter Club, right? I mean, there is a reason we do an annual event. There's a reason that we put out a podcast every single week. Uh, and those those activities don't actually make us a whole lot of money. In fact, uh, they're money losing in a lot of ways. And we do I don't it know what because, you're talking about. Well, yeah, we do it because we love this community. And if, you know, if we're not out there doing it, um, you know, then there's something missing in, in the opportunities that are out there for uh, people, you know, not just opportunities to get on stage, but opportunities to connect, opportunities to think differently about what they do. And that, you know, what we do, particularly on the podcast and, you know, in the programs that we offer with our event, it's just gratifying. And that's a big part of our why. Yeah, maybe we should talk about it more often. There you go. Let's do it. We're going to control <laughs> the narrative around our why. Yeah. I mean, again, going back to controlling the narrative, it's it sounds easy. Um, it can be, but it's also, it's something that many of us struggle with just for whatever reason. I mean, we've, we've struggled to control our narrative around what we do at the Copywriter Club. It's something that you may have to catch if you're not doing it well and reel it in and just figure out how to do it better or just be more intentional about it. We also talked about Grace's framework and I, you know, she did such a great job explaining her framework that I don't know that we necessarily need to go through it step by step. But I think uh, if you were listening to what Grace said, you understand why we believe so deeply in frameworks. And that is that, you know, Grace's course framework is a really good example of a well thought out process framework that makes it easy to talk about what you do 
It's a process that you can follow so that the outcome is predictable every single time and that the results are beneficial for your client. Uh, and it helps build trust. It helps build your authority because as you're talking about it or as Grace was talking about it, it's like, holy crap, she knows what she's doing when it comes to creating courses. It builds trust and leads to work. So uh, it's a fantastic example of why you and I so often talk about frameworks and how copywriters should be using them more often, whether it's a process framework, an idea framework, or something else. Yes. Love, love frameworks. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, when we should launch courses or digital products, when it might be too soon. Um, Rob, do you have any strong opinions about that? Yeah, well, I don't know that they're necessarily strong opinions. I've definitely seen people who have done something. I, I alluded to this in my question to Grace. And then after helping one or two clients, they launch a product about doing the thing. And sometimes I scratch my head and think, yeah, maybe, maybe they really do know. Um, but oftentimes it feels to me like sometimes those people are just like the whole point was they wanted to have a course, not really to solve a problem. And maybe they've just scratched the surface. On the other hand, some of those courses can be really good. Some, you know, especially, you know, if they deliver value, if they can help you solve a problem, if they can help you add a product or a service to your business, that's okay. And so it's more about the outcome that I think we should judge quality and less about, you know, well, do you really have the experience? And then again, having said that, of course, you need to know what you're doing when you set up a course. You know, if you're going to teach a course on VIP days, you should have done more than two or three VIP days. You should have a process. You should have successes. You should uh, have case studies and success stories that you can share uh, in order to do that. And then once you've got those, of course, you know, launch a course. But I think the real trick when it comes to courses, and I think we've, we've talked about this in the past, is rather than do doing what you do as a copywriter and then launching a course for other copywriters is to figure out what is the problem that you solve for your niche or the thing that you offer for your audience and teach a niche how to do it. So if you're teaching you know, businesses, uh, let's say in the aviation industry, how to write emails to connect with their clients, whether it's B2B or B2C or whatever, you're creating something that's really difficult to duplicate from other copywriters and you're reaching out to an audience that needs this thing desperately. You're not competing with all of the other people who are trying to teach copywriters how to write emails, right? So, you know, if you're actually thinking about creating a course, think about what can you create for your industry before you start thinking about, you know, what you're selling to other copywriters, other marketers. We see a lot of this stuff, but our industries don't. And there's a, a, a lot of green field out there for creating things that will help them solve problems. Well said. Let's get back to our interview with Grace and listen in about some mistakes she sees copywriters making when launching their offers. I'm curious where you see copywriters and other course creators making mistakes. We already talked about doing a course too soon, you know, before you're ready, but are there other mistakes that we're making as we put together our courses that we need to be thinking about? Yeah, the um, the biggest mistake for me is um, skipping the research. Because uh, again, I find like a lot of problems that people encounter during a course launch is because the research wasn't done. I mean, for me, like research, the research allows you to gather all the information on, you know, what's bothering your target, your target audience? What solutions have they tried before? 
what are they really looking for in a course from you specifically? And that will help you create a course that your clients want and need. So, I mean, as copywriters, a lot of us already kind of have an idea of this, but it, it can be tricky for a copywriter, especially one that's just launching their first product, because a lot of the times they're just not sure, you know, they're not sure what direction they should go in to launch a product. They know they want to launch something, but it's like, eh, what do I, what do I do? Um, and, and the biggest mistake is again, not being thorough with the research on that part. The second biggest mistake comes in the setup phase with not testing out everything that they've done. So not going through the checkout, not going through the, you know, welcome sequence, all of that stuff to make sure that it's running smoothly. Because for me, um, I've seen, I've seen this happen quite recently, in fact, where um, links didn't work for calls that were promised in somebody's launch. And it just, it created some confusion and a bit of frustration for you know, for this copywriter that put all this work into creating this really, really amazing program, but then something as simple as, you know, a Zoom link not working can just kind of derail you and make it, make it challenging to be at your best. Are you talking about our course? No, <laughs> no, actually. <laughs> it feels all too familiar because we have definitely had links that do not work. So I think you're right. That's, it's such an easy step. But, mm -hmm. you know, oftentimes we just rush past it and try to launch the thing. And then that's, you know, that's where it all breaks down with the link, simple link. And one thing that I will say about that too, is like, even if something doesn't go perfect, it like, it's, it's really, really not the end of the world. Like, it's really not that difficult if, especially if it's just something as simple as a Zoom link, it's not that difficult to send a quick email to give the correct Zoom link, right? I, I don't think that, I don't think that there's anything that can go wrong that can't be somewhat or fixed in, in, in some level. Yes, exactly. So I want to talk about um, shift and talk about Disney. You, you teased us when you sent a note over to us before the call about how you turned one of your $900 a month clients into a 100 K in under two years client by stealing some ideas from Disney. So I'm intrigued and I want to know <laughs> what you do to make clients love you. So, and what ideas you've pulled from Disney? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll first lead with this. So I, so how do you know that somebody's a Disney fan? They talk about it all the time. Yeah. It's the same way, you know, that they're a vegan or a CrossFit. Yep. They'll tell you <laughs> exactly. They'll, yeah, they'll tell you. So Disney has put together a really, really magical and personalized approach to customer service. So as a result, Disney's had, you know, over like 157 million guests in their park. And they have a over 70% rate of returning guests. And, you know, Disney fans, they're fanatically loyal. And most importantly, they spread their love of all things Disney around and tell the people they know all about it. Right. So for me, uh, I was lucky enough to kind of get a behind the scenes look at how Disney does things. And the guiding principle that I took away from it is to become someone that your clients will talk about by creating an experiment, an experience. And that for me starts from the moment they hear about you and it only builds from there. So the biggest, um, the biggest takeaway that I took from this Disney handbook is um, their services and processes. So 
Disney has an absolutely huge behemoth service standards manual that their employees must adhere to. And so this consistency is what makes an amazing experience for everyone who comes to their parks. So for, for me, I asked myself, okay, so how do I consistently provide stellar work to my clients so that they're going to want to keep working with me and tell others about me? So I decided to create standards and processes of my own. So when it comes to standards, I, I think of things like, okay, what's my turnaround time for emails going to be like? What exactly can people expect from working with me? So as far as turnaround time goes, it's my, it's my policy to answer all emails within one business day, no later. And what can people expect from working with me? Well, I figure that out by creating processes for each stage in the game. And this is like different processes like onboarding processes, offboarding, specific workflow processes, collections. And then there's the fix this process where like if something goes, if something goes to pot, what are, what are you willing to do to fix the situation, right? And make it better for your client. So I'll give you an example of uh, just like a little bit of an extra wow factor that I've seen somebody add to their uh, onboarding. The uh, the client that I'm helping right now with uh, their course launch, they part of their onboarding process is to ask a question of their clients. Okay, what is what's your favorite city? And if you had, or if you sorry, if you had to choose a city to visit, would it be? I think it was London. Paris or New York, something like that, right? And then what they do with that information is they actually send a welcome gift and it's a Lego set of that specific city. <laughs> it's just something that's nice. like, oh, wow. Yeah, they were actually listening to me. They, they care about what my favorite thing is, right? So for me, I like to, add, when I'm onboarding a client, I like to ask them, you know, what are their favorite kinds of coffee and snacks and you know what are what are their favorite colors like I asked them what their preferences are and then I put together a little welcome basket based on that so um, my welcome gift to this client was a really really nice gift basket with you know their favorite treats and things in it so it's just something to show that you're listening and that you care about them as a person and it's not just about the work that you do together it's about the relationship Cool. And then, so, it, I mean, obviously there's more to it though that, than just like this gift, this welcome gift. How do you continue that on over two years to make sure that they stay engaged and, and want you to continue working with them? Yeah. So in the case of, of this client, so when I first started out on my own, I, we were working together. I, he was only, he was only paying me $900 a month for a specific number of hours because I was working on, on a retainer as a VA at the time. But I built up my relationship with him. Like we always have um, touch points. We talk at least every other week um, for, a, for a half an hour just to stay in the loop with what we're doing. We, um, we chat all the time on Slack. Like I, he sends me pictures. Of, he sent me pictures of his son's wedding. Like it's just about building that relationship and keeping in communication and letting them know that you care about them as a person. Um, so I, when I was in Nashville the other, the other, you know, last month with uh, TCC IRL, I actually spent a couple of days with my client, and then I sent, um, I sent a thank you gift basket to him and his wife for visiting. 
So, but again, it's not just about sending gifts and, and spending money on it. It's about creating a consistent level of service. So he, my clients know that they can rely on me to answer them um, and, and deliver what they need in a timely manner. And the way that I communicate is always very personable. I always make sure, you know, I, I try to be my client's biggest cheerleader. That's my, that's my thing. Um, and I know that you guys have seen that time and time and again, I, I'm a pretty good cheerleader in, uh, in our group. So doing things like that is what makes people want to tell others about you and refer people to you. And you just, you create an environment of, um, you create an environment where people know what to expect from you. So against kind of stealing from Disney, they have standards for how their parks look. Their employees have to have a, they adhere to a strict dress code. They, they talk a specific way. They're always polite. So for copywriters, that can start with how people see your brand. So your, your colors, your stock imagery, your photos, you know, your brand voice, your type, your typography and fonts. It's, it's all about creating, creating an image that people know what to expect from you. So, for example, like when I'm on when I'm on social media and I see your um, Instagram accounts, like Robin Kara, I know that I know that the picture or the caption is from you guys without even seeing the name the name of your handle because I can tell that it's from you based on the imagery and how how the voice is and how how you guys talk. Well, that's good. I'm glad that's I'm glad that that's working. I feel like I will never be even close to Disney because I can't do dress codes. <laughs> yeah, but you like to wear costumes. You'll put on like a character outfit, Kira. So there's that. Well, well there you go. Yeah, but a different one every day cannot <laughs> be the same or consistent. So I struggle with that, but I, I think it all makes sense. And I understand how that works into our businesses. Can you, can we flip that upside down and talk about where you've seen copywriters struggle with this Disney-like client experience, where you feel like most of us mess it up and we really need to pay attention to this one thing and fix it because it's it's preventing us from working long-term with our clients. Yeah, I think that a, a really important thing that a lot of copywriters miss is having, you know, a great, um, a great offboarding process and a great onboarding process. So when you sign on a client, there should be very specific things that you do. Like, for example, um, right after you have somebody fill in your, your intake forms or whatever you're using, there should be, um, there should be a contract signed. There should be, you know, invoices paid before work starts. Because uh, a lot of times I've seen copywriters say that they don't even have a proper contract. And to me, that's, that's kind of setting yourself up for, for failure right? Because it allows boundaries to get stomped all over. It makes you really, really easy target for scope creep. As far as like offboarding goes, offboarding, like when you're done, especially if you're on like a project basis, not a retainer basis, you know, you can give, you can lead into other opportunities to work together. So you can make your offboarding process, you can have them fill out like a, like a form that tells, that tells you how you did it, it gives you an opportunity to say, hey, I really loved working with you. How can we keep this party going? What other, what other projects do you have on the go in the future? Do you, are other people, who, who else is in your network that's, you know, just like you, who may be encountering the same sort of struggles? 
do you do you know like do they need help how how can we how can we get connected with with those people too so it's really about um, opening up the, those lines of communication. So Grace, when you started out as a VA, I know you worked with a lot of big copywriters, like you said. I think a lot of us that, especially when we're working with our first VA, but sometimes it takes two or three, we make a lot of mistakes. It doesn't go well. Sometimes uh, that's on the VA, but most of the time it's probably on us as copywriters. Can you give us some advice on what we can do to work in particular with a VA, but maybe even other members of our team so that that process goes as smooth as possible and we can actually make things work? Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. So when it comes to working with the VA, I would say setting setting very clear expectations and setting talking about exactly what tasks you want your VA to fulfill. So I, I moved over from a retainer, like when I had my VA business, I worked over, moved over, excuse me, from a retainer to a deliverable space system very, very quickly because um, I, I don't like a lack of clarity. So if you if you know that you need your virtual assistant, for example, to help you with invoicing, helping to make sure that your contracts get signed, um, making sure that they have a very specific set of processes and standards to follow, um, create those with your VA so that um, it's you get a consistent result every single time and just making sure that you aren't dumping things on your virtual assistant at the last minute, having like pivoting constantly is very, very difficult for a virtual assistant because they're, they're running their own business too. It's not, you're not their only client. <laughs> so if you're constantly pivoting and making your, your VA change with you at the drop of a hat, um, that's another, another way to make sure that the relationship does not work out properly and that you won't be happy with the results. We talked about burnout and your why and why you do the work that you do and help copywriters avoid burnout. Could you share a little bit about maybe how you have overcome your own burnout or worked through your own burnout previously and any advice you have for copywriters that might be stuck in burnout right now? Yeah, I would say like for me personally, I'm dealing with with my own issues with like with anxiety and and whatnot. It, burnout is like a, like fighting burnout, I would say is an ongoing process. So it's never something that it's just like, here, here's a fix. Cool. You're, you're, you know, thanks. I'm cured. It's one of those things where you have to consistently protect your own boundaries in order to really overcome that, I think. And by having, by having processes and standards in your business, you can kind of get a better idea of what you're capable of what you want to do, what you want your business to look like and create something that's actually going to make you happy as a copywriter um, and creating, creating a process, especially for your own workflow and what you're delivering to your clients, I think is going to be super, super important to fighting burnout because once you have an idea of exactly what's involved with what you're delivering and have it in writing, you'll know, oh geez, I'm taking on way too much. This is not sustainable. I'm either going to need to bring on help or or dial it back. Um, another way to avoid burnout is to create create something that's going to allow you to say, "All right, I don't need to take on this many so many clients right now if if I'm feeling a little overwhelmed and I don't necessarily want to work as many projects at at this time." Um, creating like a a passive 
adjacent product, like a course, can help you do that, help you keep your income higher without you necessarily needing to take on more one-to-one clients. So I think that would be one of the best ways to avoid burnout. And I would also say, you know, make sure that you're working with clients that you actually like. If you like your clients and like what you do, burnout is a lot easier to avoid and to overcome. Yeah, I think that's pretty good advice. So Grace, you mentioned earlier, you're in the think tank, you joined the think tank uh, almost a year ago. Uh, I'm curious, before you joined, what were your reasons? Why were you thinking about joining a mastermind like the think tank? And maybe just as a follow-up to that, did, did those expectations actually come true so far? Yeah. So before I joined the think tank, I would say about 80% of my business was um, still VA based. And uh, I joined the think tank because I knew that following, you know, listening to what everybody had, like all of the people in the think tank group alumni were people that I had been watching that I, you know, respected. I've seen the results of what they, of what they've gotten out of the think tank. So I knew that joining the think tank would be a good move for me because I knew that I wanted to get out of the VA space entirely and into copywriting. And now it's basically flipped. Like I I still have about 20% of my business as VA stuff, but that's intentional. And then 80% coming from um, copywriting and course launching. So it's, it's been a really, really good move for me. And just learning from what everybody else is doing in the think tank has been more than, you know, worth the price of admission and listening to you guys, like you guys are, you guys are geniuses in your own way. And the community that I've gotten access to has been so welcoming and so, so fruitful. And like, like I was saying, my, um, my income has grown exponentially as a result of everything that I've learned. So I would say like for, I just had my second year of business. So in my first year of business, I'd only earned about 36K. And because of what I've learned and um, converting over to the copywriting and course launch space from the VA work, like last year, it was just over $100,000. So it was like massive, massive growth. And, you know, with my, I talked it over with my accountant and I'm on track to double that this year. So it's just exponential growth. It's been incredible. Wow, that is incredible. And I know we're almost out of time and we're actually about to kick off a think tank call after this. Um, but I, the follow-up to that is how have you managed that type of huge growth over one year time? How have you been able to kind of manage like that type of growth and stay grounded and focused on your business? I guess... I don't know if that's, that's not a great question, but if anything comes to mind, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, So my accountant asked me the same thing. She's like, how the hell are you doing this? (laughs) Um, (laughs) She, uh, yeah, she was pretty shocked. And and so was I, to be frank. So for me, how how I've been managing is I, I have gotten some help. I have a small, a small team. I mean, full disclosure, it is uh, my husband and my best friend, but they happen to be very good at what I give them. So I have help with um, copy editing. I have help with, you know, my back end with, with invoicing and whatnot. It's basically like having my own VA and, and, you know, junior copywriter kind of rolled into one. That's really the only way that I've been able to do it. Um, and just taking time for myself, making sure that I do things every day that, that make me happy. Um, 
my 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 biggest hobbies i love to cook i love to tinker around on my keyboard i like to read i like to you know go outside and bike ride and i garden i get you know i go out and get my nails done i get my hair done i get massages like i just i do things that take care of me so that i can feel like i'm at my best for not just me but for my clients and my family and everyone so um, i think that doing taking steps for self-care like i can't overstate the importance of that if you're if you're growing you you have to take care of yourself otherwise you're just gonna crash and burn so grace if somebody's been listening they're thinking hey i'd like to talk to grace about a course or maybe they just want to see what you've been up to where can they go to find out more yeah you can uh, visit my website gracefortune.com you can also find me on instagram at uh, grace fortune Writes. i'm also on facebook if you just look up uh, grace fortune course strategy and copywriter you'll you'll find me but then i'm also on twitter uh fortune underscore rights and I've been kind of tinkering with LinkedIn a little bit more, but um, yeah, you can find me there anywhere. I do have a weekly email newsletter list that I have recently put together. So if you go to my homepage, uh, gracefortune.com, there's a, a little form at the bottom that you can fill in if you would like to join that. Um, I would love to love to have you. I, I try to make email writing fun and informative. So I would love to hear from you. You can also email me as well, um, grace at gracefortune.com. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of ways to find you. Sure. I'm easy to find. All the ways. Well, Grace, thank you. It has been so cool to see you identify your own X factor and what makes you different in this crowded space and then build, really pivot your business so that it fully embraces what you do and how you do it differently than all the other writers out there. And so it's just been amazing to see your growth and thank you for letting us be a part of it in the accelerator and the think tank and now in this interview well thank you very much for having me it's been it's been great talking with you guys as always thanks grace that's the end of our interview with grace uh kira what stood out to you the last few minutes i mean we talked about mistakes copywriters make when they're launching their courses i think grace you know agitated some pain points for me because we've made some of those mistakes. I've made some of those mistakes before. Um, for us, it's less we, about the research. I feel like we actually do a great job with the research to understand what the right offer is. But, you know, the tech side, it, we've had so many tech problems, as oh many of us have. Drives um, us crazy. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, and so the part of her framework where she talks about test everything test it, test it. Like it's such a great reminder, but so many of us will not test it. We'll just jump in. And so I don't know. I mean, it's just another reminder to me that we really need to focus heavily on the testing and the tech and the experience, even though as copywriters, we want to focus on other parts of the course. Another thing that she mentioned that I think is really important to emphasize is when we were talking about Disney and the fact that Disney creates this experience around everything that they do and you know particularly in like the amusement parks where you will spend an hour in line waiting for this thing that lasts for two or three minutes and they've got to do something to create an experience to make that enjoyable and you know whether it's you know games that they're playing whether it's the staging of uh, the scenery around the line, whether it's providing you know food, snacks, what you know there's lots of ways to approach it. but 
thinking about that in the context of copywriting, there are times in our businesses as well that are less enjoyable from the client standpoint. One of those times may be, you know, after we've had our intake calls and we go off to do the research or go off to do the writing and we suddenly are not in communication, right? There may be something that we can do to improve the experience for our clients. Grace mentioned some of the gifts that she might share at the beginning of her onboarding process, which is a great idea. There are ways that we can make the presentation of what we do better and more exciting. And you know, there's, there's just so many ways that we can make the experience of working with us enjoyable. And the copywriters who are willing to make the effort to create that kind of experience are going to set themselves way apart, way above other copywriters who are just sharing Google Docs and doing things the regular way. Yeah. And we talked a lot about boundaries uh, in this conversation. So I'm just wondering, Rob, for you today with, with your clients and team members, business partner, uh, what boundaries have you set for yourself? Well, I, I think I, I don't have much trouble with boundaries except for with myself, right? It's, you know, um, when I'm not really clear on, okay, I'm going to spend the, you know, I, I give myself permission to not focus on work at a particular time or I, I say, hey, I'm going to be writing now. And then, you know, I let myself get distracted. So that's, that's probably where I struggle most with boundaries with clients. And even in our business, I think, you know, I do relatively well with boundaries. You know, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, have texts or even phone calls with clients, you know, I'll schedule Zoom calls. Uh, There are working hours where I don't respond after hours or on weekends, things like that. Some of the boundary stuff that we've talked about in the past in the podcast. So I don't really struggle with that stuff. But uh, personal boundaries, yeah, there are probably some things there that I'd like to get better at. How about you? I've gotten better with boundaries too. Um, I I actually, I think I'm like in great great shape. I probably am not with boundaries. Um, I think I've worked through a lot of them and, and, uh, anytime I get, you know, a message, I'm always asking like, does this, does this need to be answered right now? Is this urgent? And sometimes I, I I guess I get caught in that where it feels like everything is urgent. And in that case, my boundaries break down, but when I'm working, um, from a good place where I'm clear, and focused and have my boundaries in place, you know, I can ask that question, does this person need to hear back from me right, right away? Do they need to hear back from me in the next hour? Um, and if they don't, I can continue to do what I should be doing, which is oftentimes focusing on the business. Um, so I can get caught in there where everything feels urgent at times, but I just have to pull myself out of it and ask that question. Yeah, and I mean, you and I have set some pretty clear boundaries about you know, days when we do calls, days when we record the podcast. Uh, It's pretty rare that we break out. Occasionally we do, uh, you know, have to make some exceptions, but you know, we, we, it's very rare that, you know, we're doing calls on Mondays uh, or, you know, anytime after the very first hour or two on a Friday. Right. So. um, Yeah. Cause again, I get cranky. I get, if my, if my boundaries are broken, then I get so cranky. We're recording this on a Friday morning right now. So I'm a little afraid Kira's going to go get cranky on me. So. (laughs) We may have to we may have to wrap this up very soon. We'll That's see. true. We got to wrap this up. Um, one other thing that I would just love to uh, emphasize, you know, we talked about the the financial um, 
growth that Grace has had in her business from, I think she said 36K to over 100K, and she's on track to doubling that again. Um, I, I, you know, again, we hear stories like this, but I just love the potential of copywriting to make that kind of a difference in anybody's life is amazing. You know, when there are people who, you know, are struggling in low paying jobs, people who have gone to college for, you know, sometimes for years for advanced degrees and are, you know, struggling to make money back, copywriting does have a potential. Obviously, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes making the right connections and solving problems in a way not everybody is going to have that kind of success because not everybody works that hard. But what Grace has done in her business is really commendable. And I just, I admire what she's done. And I love that she's such a positive example for what's possible in our industry. Yeah. And, and, you know, recently we were chatting with her on a, a private call and I asked her like, how, how have you been able to have all this success? What, what are you doing that most, most copywriters are not doing because she's had excellent results. And, you know, she just said, she just, she does the work, right? Like she does what she's supposed to do, what the next thing is on her list. She doesn't talk about it. She just does it. And, you know, I know we've had calls with her where we talk about changes she could make or just consider, and then the next thing I know, she's she's done it and made those changes. And that's not that's not common. And it's paying off for her. Um, it's also worth noting that, you know, Grace uh, is one of the biggest cheerleaders for other copywriters in the community and so supportive of colleagues. And I just think that that type of positive energy in any community is contagious. And, um, you know, I, I know she's not doing it to just to get leads and sales. But I do think that always pays pays off in the long run. And she's been really such a positive person in our community. Right. And she's, she mentioned, you know, things like having a very small team uh, that's helped her, the fact that she, you know, takes care of herself and takes time for herself. All of those things also help. She, you know, going back to what we're saying about boundaries, she's really good at keeping those boundaries and making sure that she's following through with herself. All right. That is it for our interview with Grace. If you'd like to connect with her, we'll link to all the places she mentioned you can find her in the show notes. This week's review, podcast review, shout out, is from a listener called Linen and Latitudes. I wish I knew who that was. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm not sure. Who maybe maybe she'll hear us, he'll hear us, uh, and uh, reach out and say, hey, that was me. Linen Latitudes called the podcast, quote, mind-blowing. Whoa. Wow. Okay. That's great. She said, <laughs> this person says, salesy, hardly. Try mind-blowing. This podcast is packed with nitty-gritty information for those growing their copywriting business. Tips from people who are in the trenches and earn their survival skills in the process. Have a listen. End quote. Thank you, Linen and Latitudes. We wish we knew who you are. Uh, feel free to reach out. Uh, we appreciate your five-star review. And if you're listening and you want us to mention you in a future episode, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. It just takes a minute or two, and we really appreciate you doing that and supporting the show. And if you want even more resources to create a better client experience, ramp up your launch, Listen to episode 271 with Crystal Church. And if you'd like to listen to another episode where we talked about creating courses, our interview with Jennifer Duan Fultz is excellent. That's episode 255. You can find that in your favorite podcast app.
That's the end of the episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you liked what you've heard, share a screenshot, take that screenshot of the episode with your favorite takeaway, and then tag us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and we'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club.